pray together. And now may the words of my heart and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable and pleasing to you, God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, an unlikely friendship began in 2016 when Wanda Dench texted her grandson to invite him to Thanksgiving dinner at her house. But instead of her grandson, who had forgotten to tell his very sweet grandmother that he had a new cell phone number, Wanda mistakenly texted 17-year-old Jamal Hinton. Now, after their story went viral and Jamal posted about it on Instagram, he told a reporter about what happened next. He said, I got this text saying, Thanksgiving dinner at my house, and I asked, who is this? He said, Grandma. And he thought, well, when did my grandma start texting? (laughs) And so he responded, well, send me a picture. And so she did. And it was most definitely not his grandma. And then he sent her a picture. And it was most definitely not her grandson. But then Jamal texted her and said, but can I still get a plate though? And Wanda texted, well, of course you can. That's what grandmas do. We feed everyone. And that is how Thanksgiving grandma was born. And for the last seven years, their families have gathered for Thanksgiving dinner, even after Wanda's husband of 42 years died of COVID in April, 2020. And thousands follow along to hear about this gathering and they wait anxiously for the newest photo each year after Thanksgiving meal. Now they don't just get together at Thanksgiving, they get together throughout the year as well. They gather for fun and outings together And Jamal and his girlfriend brought food and care packages by the house when her husband Lonnie was sick and after he passed. It was Jamal who went with her on her very first time to get a tattoo. Maybe her only time. I'm not saying she has many, but she has one. They are now in a new business venture together, selling a new bottled water line, ironically. And um, they are still gathering and telling stories after all these years And Netflix, of course, is ready to make the movie. (laughs) Now, the pair appeared on the Today Show this past November and were interviewed about this holiday gathering. And this is what Wanda said about Jamal. He literally changed my life and my point of view on young generations, about how being open to friendships when you think you have nothing in common with somebody. But when you just sit and talk with them, oh my gosh, He's my whole heart. Family is more than blood. Two unlikely people becoming friends from different generations and different cultures who made room for one another at the table and in each other's lives. Now, I am not telling you to go text a random number today and invite someone to Easter dinner or Thanksgiving. I wanna make sure my lawyers hear that, But perhaps sharing a meal or even a drink of water at a well is a really good first step to reducing the noise of barriers in our lives with others so that we can hear what God is wanting to do in our lives and in the lives of others. In our world, there is a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise encouraging us to build walls and barriers between us. 
You have organizations and people and systems that all play to our fear of the other. They intentionally and very shrewdly label those with different cultures and experiences and opinions and beliefs as problems rather than people. The division begins and it widens with distortions and distance until the noise of all of our differences is all that we hear. Such was the division between the Jews and the Samaritans during the days of Jesus. In our text today, Jesus, a Jewish man, is traveling from Judea to Galilee. The problem is the region of Samaria is between them. And Jews and Samaritans, they were enemies because of deep-rooted, centuries-old intolerance of one another that had been nurtured among the generations. Samaritans were widely considered a mixed race, half Gentile, half Jew, which meant no Jew at all. And the two groups didn't like each other. Jews thought Samaritans were unclean. And both the Jews and the Samaritans were hostile. Both of them made difficult times for one another and made, uh, you know, criticized their, their rituals and their places of worship and their behaviors. And if you were a good Jew, a respectable Jew, you avoided Samaria, even if that meant going the long way to the east of the Jordan River to go around so that you never crossed through Samaria. But not Jesus. In verse four, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And in Greek, that word therefore had is the same one used throughout the Gospel of John when referencing Jesus's mission from God. This wasn't just a choice or a casual decision or lazy decision to go through this way rather than the long way, this was a divine appointment. And so on the way through through this land of Samaria, Jesus stops at a well, and this woman from Samaria comes to draw water, and Jesus asks her for a drink. And this begins the longest one-on-one theological conversation that's recorded for us, which is amazing. Uh, And it was between Jesus and a woman, I mean, strict rabbi teachers did not talk to women in public, not even wives or kins. That was strictly forbidden. And not only was she a woman, but she was a woman from Samaria. And Jews and Samarias did not talk. So Jesus defies all the societal norms and the purity laws of the day by speaking to her. And not only that, by asking to take a drink from the water jug that she had brought, simply touching something she had touched would have made him impure and unclean by Jewish standards. She knew all of this was really unusual. And so she asked him, how is it that you, a Jewish man, are asking me for a drink of water, a Samaritan woman? And even the disciples knew this was unusual because when they returned, the look on their face was astonishing and it said they were surprised to see him speaking to a woman. But it also says they were smart enough to know not to ask any questions. And maybe that was because they had been around Jesus a long time and and they knew, even though we don't understand what he's doing, we know Jesus is trustworthy. Even though we are distracted by the noise of barriers, Jesus is in tune to the Father. And in the next chapter, in chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus is going to say, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just, because I seek to, not, to do not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
I come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In our text today, Jesus crosses every possible barrier, geographic barriers, ethnic barriers, gender barriers. But it wasn't just because of the the woman of Samaria. I mean, Jesus had in mind when he revealed to her that he, who he was, that he loved her and he cared for her and he wanted to know the life-giving water that Jesus wanted to bring into her life. But he also had a heart for the Samaritans and wanted to share this with them as well and knew that this woman would be the door to this people. After her encounter with Jesus, she drops and leaves behind the water jugs and she runs into the community to tell her story still with a lot of questions as well, saying, could this be the Messiah? I mean, it was her hope, her enthusiasm, not her certainty that led those people from the town to come out to the well to meet Jesus for themselves. Some believing in him and inviting him to stay with them for a couple of days. As a result of this woman's story and their time with Jesus, it says the community believed for themselves saying to her, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the savior of the world. Now the woman and the Samaritans weren't the only ones that Jesus invited to cross barriers. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall or at the well to hear the disciples' reactions when Jesus says, hey, we're gonna go stay a couple of days in town with the Samaritans. I'm sorry, what, Jesus? And we're gonna say with who? I mean, you know who they are, where they come from. It's bad enough that we had to come through Samaria, but now we're gonna actually go stay with them and eat with them and dine with them. We will be unclean for probably years. But Jesus says, we're going. We've been invited, let's go. The scripture doesn't actually tell us if they asked all those questions. Perhaps again, they didn't question Jesus because they knew that even when he didn't make sense, he was trustworthy. That even though we build barriers, Jesus tears down barriers in love. You see, the story of the Samaritan woman is not just a story about one woman's life-changing encounter with God. It's a story about a life-changing encounter with Christ for two groups of people, the Samaritans and the Jews. Not even centuries-old ethnic and racial hostility, nor gender and religious cultural norms were beyond the restorative, redeeming work of Jesus. And it still isn't. Regarding the story of Jesus in Samaria, author Marshall Seagal wrote this. Racial hostility itself bowed before King Jesus. Hostility between us between black and white and every other boundary and barrier dies the same way, by bowing to Jesus. When the story of Jesus and the woman of Samaria was told in those very early formative years of the church, back when the gospel was being written, the people were dealing with all kinds of relational challenges. There were lots of conversations about who's in and who's out. How do we relate to the Gentiles? How do we relate to Samaritans, other people? And the fact that Jesus regarded a Samaritan in this story and a Samaritan woman at that would have urged them to think twice about whom they were excluding and whom they considered second-class people. As author Jennifer Garcia Bashaw wrote, John affirming a religious and social outsider as the first Christian evangelist is significant. 
This, this episode confirms the nature of the Jesus movement for its followers, that it was a movement that privileged outsiders over insiders, one that had begun with and would always be characterized by radical inclusion and boundary-breaking community. At the beginning of the, the book of Acts in the New Testament, we find the final recorded words of the risen Christ. And he gathered with his disciples over 40 days on many occasions and in many different ways, living, teaching, reminding them. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God and he told them to remain there until the Holy Spirit came upon them. And then in Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These were the last recorded words of the risen Christ before he ascended to heaven. Who can break down barriers that we believe are unbreakable? Even the barrier of death, the risen Christ can. And if we will follow him and abide with him, if we will learn to silence the noise that creates barriers between us, we'll follow Jesus and he'll lead us across those barriers too. The story of the woman of Samaria is, is really one of my favorite stories. In fact, this piece of art hangs in my office and I look at it often and it reminds me of several lessons from this story, the things that I don't want to forget. And one of the ones that it reminds me of is the dangers of assumptions. Now, there's a whole bunch of assumptions in this story by lots of different people. But the one I think about a lot is the assumptions that we've made about the woman of Samaria. There is a prevailing narrative about this woman, this nameless woman, that she was a sinful man because she had five husbands. And she was a sinful person because we all are, right? But there's really nothing in the text that says she's a sinful woman because of the marriages. There's a whole bunch of reasons why this lady would have been married five times in that culture. She might have been divorced. It could have been a widow situation. You see, in a patriarchal, male-dominated society, she would have had no ownership or power. And so she would have been at the mercy of the men around her. And if she was divorced, it was never by her initiative. Women didn't have that power. And men could divorce her because she couldn't have children. A man could divorce her for anything that he could justify. And so we really don't know what her whole story is. And I wonder if she'd really had been the scandalous woman in that culture, would they have listened to her testimony about who Jesus was? I mean, would they have taken this woman and they would have followed her to the well and trusted her if she was a woman in their culture who couldn't be trusted? And so it makes me wonder if perhaps we've judged her a little too harshly over the years because of what we bring to the text rather than what the text brings to us. When I look at this picture in my office, it reminds me to silence the noise of assumptions that I have about people and others. When I look at this piece of art in my office, it reminds me to not limit who God can call to share his story. When I look at this piece of artwork in my office, it reminds me 
that we've been handed something very precious and sacred to continue to tell the story to others. These people were important to Jesus. And so after this conversation, the woman runs back to the, the city to tell them about what has encountered, what she has encountered through Christ. The disciples come there and Jesus explains to them that look around you, he says. The harvest is ripe. It's ready. And it's here among the Samaritans because I love them and they're welcomed to the party as well. And so Jesus gathers with them and the followers, because they're following Jesus, go into the city and these people share meals together and conversations with those who just hours before were hated enemies. Now only Jesus can do that. And during those two days, Jesus and these disciples would have engaged with the Samaritans on what is considered very intimate relationship of sharing meals and staying in homes and having conversations despite all the massive cultural differences between them. I imagine a change of heart for both groups didn't happen overnight. But a shared meal, a cup of water, and a whole lot of Jesus can be a really good start. Friends, there are places and people that we don't want to go to, that we want to scoot around. There are people that we make assumptions about all the time because of what we bring to their stories rather than what their story really is. And there's a lot of noise in and around us about who is included and who is not, and who is worthy and who is not. And the division widens with distortions and distance until our differences is all that we can hear. Acclaimed theologian, author, and civil rights leader Howard Thurman once said that the expression of hate in our world often begins with contact without fellowship. Where there are contacts or exchanges with others devoid of genuine fellowship, friendship, empathy, that is the catalyst for hate. Proximity can change things. Why do we at First Baptist, why did we partner with other churches and faith traditions to help welcome refugees from Afghanistan as neighbors and friends? Because Jesus led us there. And he said, I have friends I want you to meet. And why did we take our, Wednesday, our, our Thursday night community meal for neighbors in need and combine it with our Wednesday night meal? Because we follow Jesus and that's where he led us. He said, I have people that I want you to befriend, that I want you to learn from. And why as a church did we begin ordaining women many years ago? Because we follow Jesus. And Jesus says, I have things to teach you about who I call. Like I said earlier, you do not have to send a text today to some random number to invite them to dinner or to your home. It could make for a really cool story that makes the news. It could make for a horrible story that makes the news, all right? But perhaps we can begin by inviting someone to coffee or lunch or take a walk with someone so that we can begin contact with fellowship, to have a conversation with someone that we might think we have nothing in common with, 
we live differently, we vote differently, but you just might find out you have something in common when you sit and share a meal or a drink or Jesus together. Or maybe the very first step for you to take, because one step is better than no step, is to read a book or something by someone who's walked a very different journey than you and just to read with curiosity and humility with an openness for God to teach you and instruct you. Because maybe there are some assumptions that we need to change before we can ever really cross the barriers in some of our relationships. You see, Jesus entered the Samaritan woman's world. He met her where she was. He met her with love and respect and he listened to her questions and he answered them. And it changed her story and it changed the story of two people groups. And he was invited in and he brought his followers with him. Now, maybe today you simply need to come to the well to meet Jesus. Maybe that's where you're at today. You just need to come there to ask your questions, to recognize your own thirst for the life-giving water that Jesus has that satisfies more than anything else in life, to just reside and be with him and to hear Jesus say to you, I am he, I am the Messiah. We all come to the well of living water over and over again and we find him never lacking. He knows us, all of us, our whole story, and he loves us. No matter where we find ourselves in the story today, may we ask Jesus to silence the noise of all of our barriers and divisions that are keeping us from following where Jesus leads us to go, that keep us from loving the way that Jesus taught us to love. And to do so, to follow him for the good of God and his glory and the good of the world. Let's pray together. God, we give thanks today for the testimony of this woman from Samaria. For her honest questions, for her seeking of truth which drew the Samaritans and us now to Christ. So that we might encounter him and proclaim ourselves that Jesus is indeed the savior of the world. And God of wide tables, we ask forgiveness for the times that we've made you and your table really small. We ask for forgiveness for the assumptions that we make about others and for not making room in our hearts and in our lives for those we struggle to understand. God, help us to remember that we don't have to understand and agree to love. And God of living water, we all come this morning to the well in desperate need of you. We thank you for meeting us here with endless love and forgiveness and life that truly satisfies as we choose to believe in you and commit to follow you wherever you may lead. In your name we pray, amen.